Hey, so my heart's full. <clears throat> um, sometimes during worship, I just sneak glances at you. Hope you don't think that's too creepy. <clears throat> but my heart's just full because I look at you and I just see the glory of God in your lives. And um, I'm just aware of God's calling on you. And, um, you know, I'm also aware of suffering. You know, a lot of you have different stories and um, the, the different trials that God has called you to um, walk through. And, um, I mean, it's just really overwhelming at times. I just um, am blown away by your perseverance in the faith. Um, I'm blown away by your um, affection for Jesus. Um, you're sticking with him. Um, of course, he's the one who's been sticking with you the whole time. But just, especially in this trial piece, you know, a lot of us have hidden things. And um, I get little glimpses of some of them, but I just honor you this morning. And uh, it's just... It's um, super humbling to be here. The other thing that I'm just full, I just feel like God's got something he wants to do with us today, and I feel like it's way bigger than the message. So, <laughs> so just kind of, let's just roll with this. I mean, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and, and do a, what we got here, but we'll, we'll let God show up in any way he wants if you're okay with that. Is that good? Yeah. Amen. Holy Spirit, we love you, and um, we need you. Uh, Lord, you've made us for something way bigger than this earth. Um, if we even got a little clue, the destiny you have for us would blow us away. And indeed, Scripture points to that, saying, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has it even entered the heart of man, what God has for those who love him. And we just receive by faith, God, that you've called us to be overcomers. And that um, um, I pray that, Lord, that just by the Spirit of God, there'd be fresh grace and everyone's life, and everyone's day-to-day, and their souls, and their homes, and their workplaces, and their families. So I'm just asking for fresh grace for us to be overcomers. Lord, the world is indeed a lot. The tide of this culture is overwhelming, but Jesus, you said to us, in this world we'll have troubles, but take heart, you've overcome the world. And so, Lord, this is our time. We get together on Sunday mornings, when we have faith groups in the weeknights, and we get together with a brother and sister This is a time to call us to our true identities as overcomers. And so I'm just asking you, Holy Spirit, please come and do that. Um, We need you. Uh, Apart from you, we fail. And um, with you, we we thrive. And give us grace to discern, Lord, where it is that you are pruning us because you want us to bear more fruit. Um, Thank you. Um, You prune us because you want us to bear more fruit. You, you lop things off. It hurts. It's painful at times, but it's because you're really wanting to um, make us more fruitful. So just give us the right perspective on every trial. Uh, give us the right perspective on every issue. Give us the God perspective this morning. Reframe us this morning with a kingdom view, um, because Lord, honestly, it's just, as I've just prayed, it's overwhelming, uh, the tide of the world and the flesh and the devil, unless you come and Make us the overcomers we are, by faith, in the church. Glory to God. So, we love you, and um, we ask, speak to us. Your servants are listening. Amen? Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. It's good to be together, right? Man, we need each other. I need you. Maybe you need someone else here. (laughs) I think you do. Amen. Hey, so I'm going to just um, start us out imagining a situation which I know for some of you would be incredibly, a little bit touchy, but I, um, I just want to imagine this together. Imagine that there is a cancer raging in your body. 
And, um, you know, imagine that it's metastasized, it's passed from one organ or system to another, and the thing's really just taking you over. Now, as you're sitting across from the doctor, and uh, the doctor's about to give you the situation, what you need right there is for him to be completely and utterly honest with you. Is that not true? In fact, if he was anything less than honest, you may sue him or her for malpractice, correct? Or imagine a similar situation. What if someone, and again, I'm aware that for some of you this is not imagining, and I'm painfully aware of that, but imagine someone in your family has cancer. And imagine that because the family wants to protect you and just doesn't want things to go down too hard on you, uh, they don't tell you the full story. You know, Uncle John is, is uh, you know, his body's wasting away because of this disease, and, um, but they don't, they don't want it to affect you. So they just kind of <clears throat> don't fully disclose to you. Eventually you find out it, it's pretty troublesome, isn't it? Don't we want to know the truth? We want that objectivity in our lives. And so we're talking today about Jesus' disruptive or his alarming or his jarring honesty. And just think, think for a second, um, you know, how often have you been uh, honest in a gracious way to those around you? You know, how, how often do we long to um, maybe say the thing that everyone else realizes but no one has the guts to say it? You know what I'm saying? You know, imagine like you're someone in your family, maybe... You know, everyone knows that this relative is totally controlling and difficult. And don't you sometimes just wish that you would, <laughs> could just, in love, would be the miracle, in love, say to this person, hey, you're making all our lives miserable. <clears throat> you know what I'm saying? What about your colleague? You know, there's that person that you don't like it being around at work. You're kind of backtreading. This does not happen in the harbor office, by the way. But let's say there's one of your colleagues that is just... Um, you know, they're so driven, maybe. They're just so driven, and they're so soulless. You just fear for them. You wonder, gosh, you're, gonna, you're going to, um, you know, you're going to give yourself a heart attack or something because you're so driven, and I see your personal life is in shambles, and, you know, you just want to say that to them, and we find it hard to do that, right? We find it hard to be the one who is honest but gracious in our honesty. And on the flip side, don't we long, as I, as I just kind of walked us through, don't we long for someone to have that objectivity with us? And don't we love it when it finally happens, although it can, can be painful? I'm so glad that I have a boss and a mentor um, who, uh, <laughs> he just does not pull punches with me. He is aggressive about where I need to mature. And um, it's something that I realize is so rare in the world, you know? With our spouses, sometimes it just comes out an explosive moment, and we're not that good at being gracious about it, you know? We speak truth, but it's often with an edge that would cut through, like, a diamond, you know? <clears throat> and so that miracle of having truth, but also grace, um, is, is uh, hard to find. But Jesus, jarringly, startlingly, amazingly, disruptively honest, and the amazing thing is he's able to be so in love. And to borrow the phrase from the mental health profession, Jesus' time on earth was like one giant intervention, you know? He was trying to take the keys away from all of us who are so stone drunk we can't even find the car, right? That's Jesus' ministry on earth, an intervention. And uh, most of us couldn't handle it because it was so right on. 
And again, I just call us again to this adventure this summer that, um, of getting to know Jesus and say, Jesus, who are you? As you read through the gospel, show me who you really are. And knowing that we can't really fully apprehend who Jesus is unless we get a, a, a picture, an accurate picture of his personality, that he's not just the fluffy man with the sheep that we see in pictures in Sunday school, but that this is a real man who really came to earth. And as we've walked through together, we've seen Jesus' playfulness, that he really had a sense of humor. He was not just a flatliner. He was a lot of fun to be around and poked at people at times. We've seen that Jesus flared up in anger, and his anger was mainly directed at those things that would keep us from relationship with a living God. You know, think overturning the, the money-changing tables in the temple. He was furious that the house of God would be mis, uh, misused and anything of that nature. And we looked at the fact that Jesus really was a man, that he wasn't just pretending when he came down to earth. So his taking on human form was, was real. And we can um, experience Jesus' grace because he knows what it's like to be a human. And then last week, we just looked at the fact that just uh, a constant drumbeat of Jesus' life was his exceptional kindness, his extravagant kindness. And just an encouragement there, I actually had the privilege of saying the blessing last night at um, my future brother-in-law's bachelor party. And so we had about 20, like, men's men, Bostonian, gathered at, um, at the restaurant in Boston. And uh, I, just, I just got to share that story. I said, hey, guys, who, you know, probably about, of a group of 20, maybe four are believers, including my father-in-law and the, and the, the, um, the groom-to-be who asked me to say a blessing. He said, hey, guys, anyone know what the first miracle is of Jesus? You know, it was kind of fun to see what the Bible knowledge was in the room. And, and sure enough, well, it was helpful. My father-in-law was there. He said, water, wine, you know, as, as only my father-in-law can say. And I said, that's right, right? And I, and I brought him through the, <laughs> the math that we did last week, 30 gallons, 900 bottles of wine. And uh, it was just a lot of fun. And just praying for them and saying, you know what? The way Jesus was extravagant in that situation, he's, he's extravagant with Chris, my future brother-in-law. And part of his extravagance is the fact that he's given Caitlin, my sister-in-law, for them to be together. It's just a fun moment, a fun little kingdom moment, because after that, um, just great conversations with some of the guys there. Anyways, so it helps to know that Jesus is extravagant. Who knows when you'll have to say a blessing at a wedding, and you've got some perspective on that. that. Anyways, we're getting here to Jesus being unbelievably honest not beholden to the fear of man, but just boom. He just said truth. Sound good? Okay, let's look at it. Let's start with Luke. Um, and then we're going to, um, I'm going to open with a little passage from Luke here. Then I'm just going to bring you into, what I want to bring you into is kind of how it, it applies. And what I mean is, you know, this, I'm just in Mark right now. I'm kind of moving slowly this summer through Matthew and Mark. And I just was reading, you know, during my week this week, I was in Mark 9 and 10. And, um, and just so you can, I... Um, sorry, I just interrupted myself, as I often do. Uh, so I can show you what, it, what I'm about to share on Jesus' honesty. I want to show how it applied. As I was reading Mark 9 and 10, I said, oh my gosh, Jesus is so honest here. Oh my gosh, Jesus is unbelievably honest here. Like, this is, this is uncomfortable. You know, Jesus is so honest. So I just want to walk you, walk you through some of those examples. But check this out in Luke 11. And the picture I want to give you is, and most of these pictures I'm just, I give honor to John Eldridge, who wrote the book, um, beautiful outlaw from which a lot of inspiration comes. Just I want to make sure as we're podcasting, I get nailed for plagiarism here. But a great picture. Imagine um, President Obama inviting you to a state dinner, right? So you get dressed up. You've got leaders of nations. Heads of state are there. 
all the White House staff, and you come in. I mean, just what are you thinking at that point? You know, what, what's going on in your mind? I, I, probably there's an in, incredibly heightened sense of self-consciousness. Maybe you feel like I don't really belong here. Uh, maybe there's great anticipation for meeting a certain dignitary who you like. Just keep that in mind. And now let's just go come here to Luke 11, verse 37. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee, someone important, well-dressed, diplomatic, invites him to eat with him. Wow, I got an invitation to the Pharisee's house. So he went in, and whoa, faux pas number one, he just reclines at the table because everyone else is doing what all the good Pharisees do. What are they doing? They're washing their hands ceremonial. They're all in line washing hands. And Jesus goes right to the table like a two-year-old son. <clears throat> but the Pharisee, noticing that Jesus did not first wash before the meal, was surprised. This is a teacher. What's going on here? This is strange. This is a leader of God's people. It's a prophet. What's he doing? And this is where Jesus just kind of opens up a can of, you know what? <laughs> then the Lord said to him, right? Then the Lord said to him, what's the Lord going to say to him? Thank you for inviting me to this house. I'm so honored to be here. I like being a rabbi. Do you like being a rabbi? It's kind of fun. <laughs> Let's share rabbi stories, right? What does he say? Jesus says, now then, you Pharisees, you can just see Jesus like chewing the bread, you know, all right. You guys, you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people. Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But give what is inside the dish to the poor and everything will be clean for you. Is Jesus concerned about getting invited back? I don't think so. I mean, come on. This just reminds me, I don't know if you, if you remember John 6, where Jesus goes into the whole thing of like, hey guys, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood, and otherwise you can't follow me. And afterwards, you know, the, the guys come to Jesus and they're like, hey Jesus, you know, some people were offended by that, <laughs> you know? It's like the same thing that you want to say right here, like Jesus, I think the Pharisees might be offended about this, you know? But that's what we love about Jesus, don't we? Aren't you so glad that when you open up the scriptures, we don't read, a penny saved is a penny earned. Thank you, Ben Franklin. You know what I'm saying? Because Jesus has something to say, and he's got something real to say, and there's depth and there's power to it, and you and I are dying for it, aren't we? Okay? Jesus is honest. Bothersomely, if that's a word. Annoyingly so. So let's look at Mark 9 and 10. I just want to give you a few examples. We're going to start wide and get, and get small. What I mean is, we love when Jesus names the Pharisees, right? We like that one. But let's, let's get the laser... Eventually, we're going to get the laser to your and my heart, if that's okay, okay? <laughs> All right, so um, Mark 9 and 10, just where I was this week. How does this work? Let's start with Mark 10, um, similar to what we just read about how he deals with the religious guys, all right? And the thing we've got to remember, that as we go through some of these little stories, everything that Jesus is doing is one big intervention. It's always in love. Everyone say love. It's always in love. Jesus is loving people, but depending on the hardness of heart of the person who's being loved, that's how he adjusts his, his word, right? Isn't that true with you and me, too? Sometimes we need discipline, and he disciplines us in his love. And sometimes we need such an 
encouragement or, uh, you know, so just strengthening him, and he does it all. Okay? Mark 10. Listen to this situation. <laughs> I'll start in two. Some Pharisees came and tested him. All right? So Jesus is thinking, how do I love these guys the best that are coming to test me? And he says, um, and they're asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Don't move. What happens when someone asks you that question? How would you respond? The Pharisees have come to test and they just want to know, is, is divorce okay? Is divorce okay? And just by the way, we're not in anyone's case today. You're loved. I'm not, it's not the main issue right now. But how do you answer that question today? How would I answer the question? Pastoral guy, I want to love people, make sure they're not offended. Well, how hard's your marriage? Gosh, that sounds hard. Ooh, she cheated on you? Well, I guess you can leave. How would you answer the question? I love it. Jesus is so good because he does what such a good teacher does. He asks a question back. He said, well, verse 3, what did Moses command you? He replied, they said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. And now listen to Jesus. Because <laughs> he could have just said, yep, good answer. That's right. You got the Old Testament right. Good for you. See you later, guys. No, Jesus loves people and he's after our hearts and the hardness of our hearts. Look at what he says. He says, because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. And then he goes back to scripture. But the beginning... At the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Now, this was such a zinger. The fact that, oh my gosh, Jesus was closing in and really giving no out here that, you know, the disciples had to come back and say, Jesus, what did you mean? You know, like, that was pretty intense. Verse 10, when they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. And he answered, look, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. Jesus was just not pulling punches here. Okay? And again, we can, there can be another message on this piece. But my point is just as Jesus is brutally honest. Right? Okay. How else does it work? Now let's look at someone that Jesus loves and he challenges them to follow him. Let's jump ahead to verse 17. <laughs> As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Ever in his humility, Jesus says, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. But it's just... I don't know, stick that in your theological craw and chew it for a little bit because we know that Jesus was sinless, so it's interesting that he says that. Anyways, he says, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, um, and honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Ooh, and check this out in verse 21. Jesus looked at him and loved him. And so what's he going to do in love to this guy? He's going to say, I'm so glad you're into the cause here. Join up. Let's go. I'm trying to build this thing. I need to build a worldwide religion here that's going to shake the earth. I'm glad you're in. Come on in. I need more people. 
No, Jesus looks at him, loves him, knows what it means to be honest with him, and this is what he says. One thing you lack, he said, and I'll just throw in the, the Neil Hubacher commentary. One thing you lack, your heart is too attached to stuff. This is what he says. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus was honest with this guy. He saw right into his heart and saw there was too much anxiety about stuff and said, all right, this is what it looks for you to follow me. Get rid of your stuff. Jesus is honest. So honest. And the great thing about his honesty is that his honesty always is an opportunity for liberty. Okay, everyone say honesty. Everyone say liberty. Anytime he's honest with you, with me, with who we read about in the Bible, it's because he wants your liberty. Jesus' honesty means my liberty. Jesus' honesty means my liberty. When he's honest, it's to set you free. And even though it hurts, I know how it hurts when I get reflected back to me what I'm really like <laughs> by my wife or by or my colleagues in ministry. When I get it reflected back to me, at times it hurts, but it's so I can be set free eventually. Okay, now what about his close-in guys? Let's, let's hear what it looks like when Jesus, with the guys who are his disciples, you know, his 12, what does it look like when he's honest with them? And before we look at this, why don't we just think about, um, think about Ike Eisenhower. I get this history, I get the history folks excited. Right before Normandy, what does he say? I can't remember. It's probably good. Ben, what does he say? What's, what's famous about Eisenhower's speech before they, they stormed the beach at Normandy? I can't remember. Okay, good leadership. Yeah, he took responsibility. Good. What about Churchill? Same, same time frame. Churchill, England. What are some of his famous quotes? I don't know. I need history. I'm just going to keep picking on you. Yeah. There you go. That one, right? <laughs> About seven nevers, and then never give up. Churchill, right? Right? When it's, t- when it's go time, leaders, boom. They get visionary and they get chargy. Let's look at Jesus. Okay? I love this. I actually want to find out more about this. Verse 32, it says, they, and you got it pictured, they is Jesus, the disciples, and probably a bunch of people who are also following Jesus, not in that close circle. It says, they were on their way up to Jerusalem. Now, mind you, this is getting towards the end. So this is, um, you know, Jesus knows that it's Passover time, like the, the drum thing of his life is beating faster and louder here, okay? And listen to this, it says, um, well, with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished, and those who followed were afraid. I don't know all the whys, but I'm going to make a couple of guesses. I think the disciples are astonished because, you know, up till this time, Jesus has been somewhat avoiding that region, Judea and Jerusalem, because he knows that the Pharisees are out to get him there. Jesus has always kind of shied away from the battle up till this point. But here, Jesus is actually heading up there. And so I think the disciples, they're surprised. Like, Jesus, do you sh- are you sure you know what you're doing here? We've been playing, um, we've been behind enemy lines here the whole time. And now the larger crowd says they're afraid. Isn't that wild? I think they're afraid, like I'm trying to, um, they may be afraid, 
like they know a showdown could be coming too. So it's just really fascinating. Here, here, that's the situation we're in. And this is what Jesus does. Ike, Churchill, and he took the 12 aside and told them what was going to happen to him. Hey guys, we're going to Jerusalem, he said. And by the way, the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. The thing that strikes me about this is, again, Jesus isn't going all visionary. Like, guess what, guys? We're going to change the world. There's going to be a little crucifixion in the middle, but we're going to change the world. He's just laying it out like, guys, this is, we're getting to the end here. I appreciate that about Jesus. And I believe that he is able to speak to all of us in our situation this way, very frankly, very directly. It's what we long for, right? We want objective truth. So that's how he speaks to his own, his own guys. He doesn't water anything down. And I appreciate that he doesn't want anything down. And now to you and me. What does Jesus say to you and to me through the ages? Before Mark 10, let's look at the end of Mark 9 here. Everyone hold on to your seats. <clears throat> what does Jesus say? What does it mean that he's jarringly, disruptively, annoyingly honest with us? What does it mean for him to be honest with us so that results in our liberty? Look at this. Uh, let's start at... <clears throat> I guess 42, which I don't know. It may not be up there. It's okay. Okay, we'll pick it up at 43. 42, he says, And if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to be thrown to the sea with a large millstone tied around his neck. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. I believe that's from Isaiah. And everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with each other. And now to you and me, because this is recorded for us down the ages. Jesus gets after it with us, calls us to radical amputation where we are trying to get free from sin. A little squirmy, isn't it? Right? If you're like me, we just kind of make excuses, shuffle this under the rug, hide that, rearrange this. But rarely do we take Jesus at his word here and get radical about eliminating the things in our lives that cause us to stumble and fall. And then there's this mysterious statement here, verse 49. Everyone will be salted with fire. You know, the King James actually adds this. It says, everyone will be salted with fire and every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. And my take is this, and I'd say, you know, just out of the, the commentaries that are out there, I'm, I'm in good company here. Um, <clears throat> and that is that um, we're salted with fire. In other words, there's the fiery trial of dealing with our weaknesses or where we are, we are prone to sin. That's right where God salts us. 
You know what I'm saying? If we're the salt of the earth, in other words, if we, the people of God, are the preservative, right? Our culture is going crazy, right? Our culture is off the wall. And even in my short little life, you know, of 40 years, it's incredible how things have, are accelerating as far as the wickedness on the earth, right? And we, the people of God, we're called to be salty. But how do we get salty? We get salted with fire, in other words, how do we become worked through? How do, how do we get pure? How do we, how do we get transformed? We're salted with fire when we get confronted with stuff like this. In other words, when we start to get, realize, oh my gosh, I am not going to change here unless I cut this off, cut that off, get this out of my life, get accountable about this with someone, like real accountability. Until we go through that fire, we don't really have salt. But God wants to salt us by going through the fire of those trials of coming face to face with the fact that we've got to amputate some stuff radically to get free. Amen? <laughs> it's not a good... As, uh, <clears throat> amen? <laughs> there we go. Okay. Not everyone likes that, right? And that's the whole point. Right? Jesus gets after the jugular. But isn't that better? I, I would take Mark 9 any day over... Um, how about Menkei? He was, um, he's, uh, after Confucius was Menke. Menke said, a person of great love has no enemies in the world. Wonderful. <laughs> hey, I'm not down on Confucianism today. But I mean, there's, first of all, Jesus proved that totally wrong. <laughs> he, had a, he loved more than anyone else and he had a lot of enemies. But aren't you glad that Jesus spoke things that were weighty and true and offensive? How about, how about the guy started Taoism, Lao Tzu? Practice nothing and all will be well. Well, thanks, Lao Tzu. <laughs> let, me, let me see how that works in my marriage, okay? Practice nothing and all will be well. <laughs> Jesus says real things and they really get after our souls and they really offend us. But that's what salts us with fire and gets us to be salty so we can be who God's called us to be. Amen. Remember in John 1, Jesus, it said that the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. And that's the good news. When Jesus speaks truth to you, he does it with grace, right? And I'm just barely being able to start this in the discipline process of my own son. Because I can honestly say, even when JD is driving me nuts, I do love him. And it's why I discipline him. Because as I heard on one radio show, I don't want him to just be a part of the cupcake generation that has everything handed to him and can't become an adult. But I want JD to become an adult who functions. And because of that, I discipline him. And the whole time, I really do love him. And actually, me disciplining JD has helped me better understand God's love for me. Because honestly, if you're like me, hearing the message last week, I have a hard time apprehending that Jesus is always kind to me. I have a hard time believing that he's exceedingly gracious to me all the time. But when I discipline JD, I really do love him. And I'm just a weak, evil man. And we know the scripture talks about that, right? If I, being wicked, know how to give good gifts to my son, how much more does the God of heaven love me when he's speaking that? He loves me when he's saying, cut that off, get rid of that, amputate that. Do you know what I'm saying? Amen? He loves us today. <clears throat> Jesus' honesty always means my liberty. Um, Jen, I'm going to invite you to come on back with the worship team. And basically, um, uh, wow, we're, this is great. We've got, we got some time here, which is good, because God's up to something today. And 
I guess um, where I want to head this morning is I want us to, I'm going to have us process two things. The first is, let's just ask Jesus. Jesus, will you speak honest, honestly to me today? Will you just speak a word or a sentence to me? You know, at the beginning of the service, the challenge was, hey, do you believe God speaks? I got a resounding yes. So God wants to speak to you. And he wants to speak to you a word of truth and grace. You know, hey, I love you. This needs to improve. You know, hey, I'm totally for you. And you probably need to cut this off. You know, God wants to speak that to you today. Will you let him do that? Okay, we'll, let, we'll, we'll, we'll give some space to do that. The second thing that I want us to be able to do is, um, as, um, you know, as we've talked about, it's so, the reason why I appreciate this quality in Jesus, the fact that he's so winsomely honest, is because it's so rare for us to do it well. And so what I want to ask is, hey, um, in either direction, do you need to speak with anyone in this room? In other words, maybe there's someone in this room with whom you have an offense, and you just need to say, hey, you know what? This was hard when you said this, or this was hard when you did that, okay? And, um, or maybe it's the other way around. Um, or maybe you just want to ask someone for feedback, you know? One of the scariest questions you can ask a spouse is, what is it like living with me? <laughs> wow, <clears throat> yeah. And so maybe you want to ask that kind of question, you know, to a roommate, to a spouse, to um, a friend, you know, what is it like dealing with me? You know, what, what do you get from me when we're together? I, I just, I encourage you to take that risk today with someone. Watch what happens, you know? Again, we've got time here. So we're just going to open up the, we're going to worship. You feel free to worship. You feel free to move about, communicate with people, pray for each other. I'd like to invite our faith group leaders to be up here and available to pray for people. You know, maybe you just need a simple repentance moment and um, we'll have folks pray for you. Sound good? Isn't God good? Isn't it good that he speaks truth to us? Jarlingly so. Why don't we stand up? <laughs> and the end goal is this. If we learn to receive Jesus honestly, honesty, both directly from him and through the body, we will become the emotionally mature and free from sin people that God wants us to be. This doesn't happen well in too many places. But I want this church to be, because I believe it's Jesus' heart in the church, that we become a place where this is done well. We speak the truth in love, or to borrow the business world's, you know, practice the 360 review, right? Where you get people above, below, beside you who are giving you honest feedback about how you are. In love. That's the miracle. A couple of words that we got before we, um, before the service. One was that... um, Bonnie got a picture of the, our mouth and just reminded of Jesus' words when he said, it's not what goes in a man that makes him unclean, but it's what comes out that makes it unclean. So especially, I want to have the invitation for the front, especially to be, if you are aware of sin with your speech, like your tongue, maybe you've been cutting or too sarcastic or something like that, then please let us pray for you. I, I want to I pray for, um, I want to have some of our faith group leaders pray for you. If you feel like in particular your mouth, you know, maybe you're just cussing a lot and God wants to set you free a little bit. Um, you just come and get, get, get prayer. And the other word, um, another, sorry, another word, which was powerful, was um, um, <clears throat> Kathy Newby had a, a picture of like a cloth that was being woven together. It was a little bit raggedy on the edges. edges. And the word that she felt like God was saying is, for those of you who are self-conscious about how you look and how you dress, 
probably no one here. <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> For those of you who are self-conscious about how you look and how you dress, she felt like God, what God was saying was, what's more important is what I'm weaving on the inside, right? What's more important is, um, you know, what I'm weaving on the inside of you. So some of you, there, maybe today is the day we want to get a little bit free from the self-conscious anxiety, um, clothing, physical appearance thing, and just say, Lord, I really do want to be more concerned about what you're weaving on the inside of me, okay? So a couple invitations there. Amen, let's pray. Holy Spirit, thank you. (laughs) Thank you that, um, like it says in Romans 2, it's your loving kindness that leads us to repentance. And Lord, the reason you spoke this harsh word, or you spoke harshly to Pharisees, or even to us through the ages about cutting things off, was because you love us because you want us to be mature children of God who can handle co-laboring with the God of the universe. And so first, Holy Spirit, we pray even now, deposit in us, what is the word of the day of grace and truth to us personally? Holy Spirit, we allow you to examine our lives. Examine our weeks examine our homes examine the dark corners of our soul that we open up to no one Jesus what's your word of truth and grace to that very spot speak it Lord your servants listening